Today we are back in Luke 15. Luke 15, starting at verse 11. George, you like picking it through until the end of the... Thank you. So Luke 15, verse 11. It's quite a chunk today, and I'm sure one that's uh, a passage that many of you are familiar with. And he said, this is Jesus speaking here, there was a man who had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in the country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country, who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. But when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will rise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robes and put it on him and put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and is now found. And they began to celebrate. Now his older son was in the field and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come, and your father has killed the fattened calf, because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, look, these many years I have served you and never disobeyed your command. Yet you never give me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours comes, he who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate 
and be glad. For this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is now found. Amen. Heavenly Father, Lord, this passage today, many of us can relate to. Many of us may be where either the young son or the old son might be. And Lord, on this day when you have granted us the freedom to be here in this place together as one body, Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts to receive that which you want to speak and communicate to us through your spirit this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <coughs> now, who here, either as a parent or as um, a, a child of parents, have ever engaged with the controversial conversation, who is the best child? Who is the favourite child? Who's had that conversation? Jack's saying me. Me, of course. Yes, we all have. Absolutely. This has happened in our household over the years. Both Jack and Sky have uh, independently given their views of who they think mine and Kelly's favourite child is and have given, at times, very compelling cases for why they believe that. <laughs> yes, you have. Now... No, we don't have a favourite. Sorry, Jack. But we do recognise that both Jack and Skye have needed different things from us as they've grown up. But with that said, there is still some absolute truths that me and Kelly hold to, as I'm sure many of you do as well. Both of them are equally loved. Equally loved. Both... Uh, sorry, me and Kelly do our best to equally be there for them, supporting them and caring for them. And we do our best to treat them equally, as should be the case. And so it is with the passage here, this so-called parable of the prodigal son, the last of the three stories or parables which we have been looking at over last week and this week, which all focus around the theme of redemption. If you're going to whittle it down, the, the stories, the parables we looked at last week and today, it, it, the foundation of it all is redemption. Last week, we looked at the last two, if you were here with us. I think it's online if you want to go back and check it if you weren't here. We looked at the lost sheep and we looked at the lost Coin, and we concluded three truths. You first must be lost to be found. You first must be lost in order to be found. <coughs> Second, God is diligent and persistent in searching out and seeking out that which is lost, those who are lost. And thirdly, 
God and the angels celebrate more than we could ever celebrate when a life is saved. It's a beautiful picture. Now I'm sure many of you when I said that can only think of the, uh, the Euros game I showed you uh, on the video last week with all the beer flying up in the air. Now the first thing to say about today's parable of the prodigal son is that the title that we often refer to can be, and I would suggest maybe is, a little misleading. Because the story focuses not just on the returning son, but on the father's two (coughs) sons. There are two sons in the story, which is further supported by the father's actions after the youngest child requests his inheritance from him, his share of the property. We read that the father divided his property between them. He didn't just give it to the one who was going to disappear. He gave it, or he, he, he distributed it between both of them. It's also worth noting that because this is a continuation of Jesus' teaching from last week, the parable is aimed primarily at the teaching or sorry, teaching the Pharisees who are listening to Jesus a lesson and responding to their heckles. But as is always the case, there is a golden thread, a timeless truth that we can exegete from God's word and and apply into our lives and today's time. But as always helpful, Uh, as a key to help us understand the who is who in the parable, the younger son is referring here to the sinners and tax collectors who were drawing close to Jesus. The older brother is is representation of the Pharisees, and who can guess who the father represents? (laughs) Everyone knows it, but I just want to say it. God. The father represents God. But with that being said, we can split this parable into three primary sections. The first is the younger brother's rebellion and redemption. The second is the father's grace and love. And the third is the older brother's self-righteousness. So let's delve into these. Let's, Let's explore. So the younger brother's rebellion and redemption. So the first time we're introduced to is this this youngest child who uh, sets about requesting his inheritance from his father. What is striking is that this gives us a glimpse into the youngest son's potential mindset as this is happening. You see, the act of requesting your inheritance in in most cases is you trying to claim that which is not yours yet. Trying to claim something that is not yours yet. Inheritance is that which is owned by someone else, and more often than not, it it doesn't always have to be like this, but more often than not, is typically passed down to you on that person's passing, on that person's death. We also know that he couldn't get away quick enough. In verse 13, he, uh, he says, the younger son gathered all that he had 
and he took a journey into a far country. He didn't just move down the road. He didn't just swindle it in, you know, in whatever town they were living by. He went as far away, quite probably into a Gentile country, as if he's trying to get as far away as his father as possible. Now, whatever plan he might have had, clearly didn't come to pass. It clearly didn't work. He clearly enjoys himself. We hear that, we read that in the passage. He enjoys himself, he lives a life of luxury, he enjoys all the world can offer him, living it his way, living it the way that he wanted to, which is probably the driving force for him asking for the inheritance. But it's always the case, if you don't live with wisdom and due diligence, it will come crashing down at some point, which is exactly what happens in this situation. Psalm uh, 29.3 quite rings true in this instance. A companion of prostitutes squanders the wealth, squanders that person's wealth. He had wasted everything and dropped so low when the famine hit that he had to resort to hiring himself out to do a job that was so degrading for a Jew to look after the pigs to feed the pigs and he became so hungry that even the pods from the carob tree which were uh, the, the food that was given to the pigs looked appetising for him but they were still out of reach for him because no one would give him any. You can't get much lower, can you? I'm sure on some level the younger son's story reminds some of us here of our pasts, of once, of where we once were. It might even trigger some people here to think that's exactly where I am now. We may not have been physically destitute, we may not have been physically homeless or hungry, but just like the young son physically moved far away from his father, so have we moved and we had moved far away from God our Father in our heart and in our living. We lived the pleasures and joys of this world until we came to a similar realisation that the young son came to. That the things of this world do not bring lasting joy, lasting uh, yeah, lasting joy that he hoped for. You see, this world will give to you all its jewels. It will give to you all the desires of your heart as you search to fill that gap in your heart that you know there's something missing. There's something missing. I am not content, so I will go on a journey to search and to do whatever I can to fill this hole. Buy stuff, go places, whatever it may be. But at the same time, this world will do its utmost to drain you of all that you have, if you let it. Not only leaving you with the same empty hole in your heart, but placing you in this constant cycle that, again, many have gone through in life, 
of one minute joy and comfort, the next minute concern and despair. Joy and comfort, concern and despair. Look at all I have, I'm content. Next minute, oh my gosh, how am I going to pay the bills? What about you today? What about you? Are you in a similar situation? Going around that same cycle, knowing that there is something missing in your life, something missing in your heart, something you just cannot put your finger on, but you look to the world to fill it. Are you longing for peace and joy in your heart that will remain constant, irrespective of what is happening in life and what life is throwing at you? Then, friends, you need to stop. You need to stop today. Stop running. Stop fighting. Stop looking to the world. Open your heart and realise that the thing that you are missing is not more stuff. It's not more money. The thing you are missing is no thing at all. It is a person. It is Christ. It is God in your life. That is what you're missing. The very God who may well be knocking on your heart this morning it was prayed upstairs before the service. I'm not sure, I can't remember who prayed it. Every one of us, and we often say this, every one of us are here for a reason. Don't be naive to think this was your choice of you being here in this service today. It really isn't. Whether you want to believe me or not is entirely up to you. You're here today because that was God's plan for you to be here. Now you could be you could still be pushing and fighting God for the next 15 years. But his plan was for you to still be here today. This is what happened to the younger son in verse 17. But when he came to himself. Think back to last week. God doesn't give up searching and seeking. Until he came to himself, he awoken, he, he realised, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger. I know what I'll do. I will rise, I will go to my father and after I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and he went to his father. When he had come to that place of despair, when all seemed lost and he stopped fighting and stopped running, he realised that the only true place of safety, the only true place of joy and comfort was with the father. Because all the other stuff, the prostitutes, the gambling, the drinking, whatever else it was, didn't fill the hole. Look where it got him. And this is exactly what was, was happening to the, to the sinners who were drawing close to Jesus as we looked at last week. And so it is for you and I, and for some of you today. Friends, God is patient. He will allow your stubbornness to lead 
you down the path of this world in order to help you realise that what you were searching all along was for him. He's patient. He will let, you, he will let your self-righteousness disappear and think, I'm your own boss, I do what I like. Then we move on to the Father. The Father's unconditional love and grace. The Father in the parable had every right to be angry, to be frustrated, to be disappointed, and to be upset with his youngest son. He had every right to be because of the way he was living and what he'd done with his father's hard-earned wealth, if I can use that terminology. But his response to his return was the complete opposite. Opposite of what society would have expected. Let me go back to Deuteronomy. It clearly says there, a defiant, a rebellious child can be taken before the, 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 um, uh, the elders of the town and could be condemned to death by stoning. It's not applied today, right? So you can't do that with rebellious children. Just saying. But verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he felt compassion and ran and embraced and kissed him. Now running in those days was considered undignified. It's just something you didn't do. But the father doesn't care. He is so overcome with compassion and joy that he runs to meet his son and he embraces his son. Now I want you to notice something here. Notice what happens. The son begins to say the, the, the words to his father that he, he had rehearsed whilst with the pigs. He begins by saying, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But he doesn't get a chance to finish. He didn't get a chance to say, treat me as one of your servants, one of your hired servants, because the father cuts him short. The father cuts him off and says to his servants with joy, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him, put the ring on his fingers and his shoe, shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for my son who was lost, who was dead, is alive again. He was lost and he is now found. Hallelujah. I'm getting excited anyway. <laughs> you see, the father's embrace and the kiss on the cheek does not deter the younger son from confessing to his father his unworthiness. It doesn't detract from that. He still shares his unworthiness with his father, but his father cuts him short. What the son is saying is true. He has sinned against the father. He is not qualified to be the father's son. He does not deserve to be any more than the father's servant. But the father's love and grace toward the repentant son 
the son that had turned from his lostness and depravity, returned to him, was unconditional. At the first glimpse of the repentant son returning, he runs to him, he embraces him, he kisses him, and then to top it all off, gives him this robe, gives him the ring, which quite probably had the, the family's crest on it, places the shoes on his feet, throws the party and tells them to, to, to kill the, the fattened calf so they can eat it. Symbols of great love, of the great love, and, and the desire the father has for his son. And these things show how important the son was to him. Restored not as a servant, but restored back to sonship. Father's joy knows no bounds because his son was dead but is now found. So it is with us. So it is with us. I'm getting warm. Just put it on my thing. So it is with us. We are so precious to God. And he breaks his heart when he's created beings, that's us, rebel against him and turn their back on him. But he never gives up searching or seeking to claim you back, to save you from the clutches of the evil one who uses this world to entice you to destruction. Which is why Jesus was born to the world in the first place. God's saviour, who was sent to seek and to save. Jesus, who was fully human yet fully divine, who lived like us, experienced the pains and the hurts and the temptations of the world like we do, so that he is able to understand and relate to what we're going through. Relate in those moments just like the young son when you find yourself sitting in your own pigsty after the world has trod on you and left you in the mud. And show genuine compassion for you just as the father showed genuine compassion to the young repentant son. But Jesus went one step further than us. He went one step we could never go, as declared in Romans 5. Paul says, God shows his love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for you. He died for me. He died for the younger son, and as we will see, he died for the older son. Christ died for our sin. He paid the debt we owed the Father in order that we didn't have to. A debt we could not pay. And all he asks and asked in return is that you repent from your selfish, rebellious ways, place your faith in him and follow him. Because in doing so you will receive a restored relationship with God the Father, our creator, who is waiting to clothe 
you in a robe who is waiting to place the kingdom of God signet ring on your finger, who is waiting to put those shoes on your feet before turning and declaring to heaven and all the hosts of heaven, let us celebrate my child was dead and now is alive. They were lost and now they are found. Morley hears that now. Morley sees heaven celebrate when a, someone repents and gives their life to Christ because the whole of heaven will. And then finally we see, we turn our gaze to the, old, the older brother, uh, the older son's self-righteousness. On returning back to the house after being in the field, the older son hearing the commotion asks one of the servants what's going on. What's all this racket I can hear? Explaining that his brother has returned and has been welcomed back into the family and that the party that is in full swing was for the brother who has returned. Didn't go down too well with the older brother. He became angry and refused to go into the celebrations. Now this, this is where it's wonderful. But because of the father's great love for the older son also, same love for the older son as it was for the younger son. He came out to meet him. And we are told that the father entreated him to come in and rejoice. And that's an important word that we don't want to skip over. Because it means he begged him. He pleaded with him. He didn't just ask him. He begged him, he pleaded with him, son, don't allow your stubbornness to hold you back from coming in, joining us and celebrating with us. But the older brother, the older son replied in verse 29 and says, look, these many years I've served you, father, and I've never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. The self-righteousness of the older son is clearly seen here. Refusing to call the returning son his brother, but referring to him as this son of yours. He clearly despises the younger brother and feels let down and cheated by his father, believing he is worthy and deserving of the same benefits that his father is showing to the younger son, which is totally in contrast to the younger son. He never asked to be treated like this by the father, did he? never asked for it and he never felt worthy enough to be blessed in this way 
You see, the older brother's focus was on himself and his own service. And as a result, he had not only had no joy in his brother's arrival home, but failed to see the value of his brother's repentance and return. He had allowed bitterness to take root in his heart to the point that he was unable to show compassion and joy because his younger brother had returned and hindered him from forgiving the father. All the father had to offer was there for the older son to receive. It was all there for him as it had been given to the younger son. Which is why the father turns round to him and says, Son, you are always with me. I found that really interesting. Son, you are always with me, not me with you. Let that just mull. You are always with me. Every child of God on this planet is always with God, whether they are a Christian or not, because every, every person on this planet is a created being. But only some God is with in their heart through the Holy Spirit. We do a whole message on that. Son, you are always with me, and all this is all that is mine is yours if you want it. Is what he's saying. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and he was found. But rather than follow suit, rather than stepping in and joy, enjoying the fellowship with his father and his brother and the community. The older brother stayed outside the house and refused to go in. He remained angry. So it is with the Pharisees to whom Jesus was aiming this parable at. Remember, the Pharisees' approach to living with God was very much works-based. Very much works-based, striving to fulfil and apply the law, but it was shallow. On the outside, they seemed like they were, um, they were blameless, you could say. But on the inside, the inside told a different story. Made very clear in this moment, in their reaction to how Jesus was engaging with the sinners. You remember their heckle from last week? Oh, he eats with tax collectors and sinners. It was a heckle, it was a jest. Because that's something they would never do. The problem is they, un they, they didn't understand grace. And in, in some respects they seemed angry toward it. Because that's what, God, that's what Jesus was showing in this moment. With grace. Grace to the sinners. And the Pharisees had failed to realise in themselves what John would later write in his first letter. And he says this in 1 John, 20, uh, 1 John 2, uh, 9 to 11. He says, Whoever says he 
is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Friends, whether you recognise yourself in the younger brother or whether you recognise yourself in the older brother, one thing is true, and it's been true throughout all of this, and that is God's amazing love and grace is offered to both the older and younger brothers. Both is there, as it should be for any parent. As believers, we must ensure that we too show the same heart, the same joy as the Father when a, a soul repents and turns to Christ, whoever they are. We can still fall foul of the attitudes of the Pharisees, even today. We must show grace, love to the prostitute, to the drunk, to the drug addict, to the murderer. We don't have those in Whitney. You would be surprised. You'd be surprised to show love and grace to uh, the Prime Minister or to the person who works in the field and everybody in between. It doesn't mean we agree with their actions, their way of living, but we show grace and we show love and we offer them the hope that is in us, the hope only found through Christ. We must never fall into the Pharisee's trap of thinking that we are better than all of those. It's more righteous than them. We were all in this room, all of us, sinners once. Sinners without hope. We still sin, but for those of us who have given our life to Christ, there is hope for us and forgiveness. But we were all sinners once in a very basic understanding of it. We were all lost but found. And our righteousness is nothing to do with you or I. Our righteousness is a gift from Christ to those who surrender to him. Can I call the uh, invited band back up, please? This is a tricky passage, the, uh, a parable this month. You could do, oh, there's so much you could put out of here and... Maybe we should dedicate a month or something just to this one parable. <laughs> but I encourage you, go back. Spend time exploring this parable for yourself, or all three of them. This whole aspect of redemption, because there's so much in there. But we're left, we are left asking a compelling question. Did the older brother join the party? The older brother joined the party. Let's apply this now outside the parable 
to those who Jesus was speaking to. Did the Pharisees or did the scribes heed Jesus' words? Did they take on board what he was saying? Did they themselves share in the same joy as God and the angels over the return of the sinners and the tax collectors? We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that Jesus left the invitation open to them. That's what's important. He left the invitation open to them. And he does so today. If you haven't already, the invitation is open to you. The question is, are you going to accept it? Amen? Well, we're going to sing our last song, which is, I felt, very fitting for this, um, uh, this area that we've been exploring over these last couple of weeks. But can I ask you, if, if this has really sort of touched your heart or over these last couple of weeks, that's okay. We've all been in that situation, confusion maybe. I don't know what to do, I don't know where to turn, do I accept, don't I accept? And come and speak to me. Come and speak to us, the prayer area will be over there. People are willing to talk and pray with you. But don't walk out the door feeling confused about how you're feeling, or maybe, as I said, God knocking on your heart. Amen. Amen.